Old Testament book of Jonah. We started a sermon series last week that we called All Called. And the idea is that every single one of us are called in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I, I think it's intriguing that Martha's friend said, I believe that God is telling me that you need to go share. That sounds like something that some of you would do. I've told you often, if you come into my office and you say, you know, Pastor, God's laid it on my heart that our church start thus and such ministry, my first response is, great, you just volunteered to lead it. It's amazing, the first two or three times I did that, people stopped showing up in my office. I don't know what that's about. Now, if God laid something on your heart, then you need to do it. But I want to make sure that we're listening, that we are tuned in and hearing that God calls all of us right where we are to be involved in this ministry of multiplication, this ministry of kingdom advancement. We are called to make disciples among our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. You and I are called to be replicating ourselves continually. Now, if you found Jonah by now, I've given you a little time. I realize that most of us have to do the Baptist fan. You know, have to kind of flip through. It's a very, very small Old Testament book, four chapters, only 48 verses in total. Kind of interesting to think that this story would have so much incredible uh, application for our lives. It'd have so much incredible um, power for us and for us to consider the truths that are there. Now, most of us, I would imagine, are familiar with the story of Jonah. You've heard it at least in Bible school or in Sunday school. And if you're not familiar with it, over the course of these weeks, we'll be sharing the story. But I want us to continue in the same vein that we did last week. If you remember, last week I called the sermon, Here am I, Lord, send someone else. And the principle of that message was that God calls particular people to particular places for particular purposes. And God calls each and every single one of us to be on mission for Him right where we are. He's planted you on your campus. He's planted you in your neighborhood. He has purposefully planted you in your job and in your circles and spheres of influence to impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we look tonight, again at Jonah chapter 1, we're going to expand a little bit. Last week we looked at the first three verses. We're going to read them again. And for time's sake tonight, I'd like to read the first three verses of Jonah uh, 1 and the last three verses of Jonah 1. And those bookends will give us a little picture that I've called See Jonah Run. I want us to look at this together and think about this together. By chance, did you guys get any of this up there on the screen? It's in the media folder. doesn't matter at this point. We're going to roll on. Let's just roll through it. Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Let's look together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, if you will, uh, move down with me to verse 15 and we'll read these last three verses. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, great, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. 
Now, immediately, there are people that will say, Pastor, really, do you truly believe this story? I mean, do you really believe that there is a species of fish out there somewhere that could swallow a man and, and somehow that man could be sustained for three days in the belly of this great fish? And my encouragement to you there is this. The Bible doesn't say that there has to be a species of fish. There was just at least one. And he's right here in Jonah chapter 1. So yes, I do believe that this actually happened. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ pointed it out. The Lord Jesus Christ said about himself being in the grave for three days just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And so if Jesus believed in Jonah, I think we're on safe ground tonight to believe in Jonah as well. Amen? All right, I just want to make sure we're all there together. A very simple principle, the Word of God stands or, or falls all together. And if you can believe that God is the creator and powerful and sovereign and in that power could create with a word, let there be light, could create with a word, uh, the earth and the animals, the vegetation, all of the things that he created, then surely we can believe that he could create a fish large enough to do this very thing. If we determine that that's not feasible, then where do we stop? Do we stop before we say we disbelieve the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Do we stop before we say believe the resurrection of Jesus? And so if we look at this miraculous story, here's what I want you to get out of tonight. Our time is very limited, but I want you to hear me. This is not just some fish tale. And as we look at this story together, here's what I want you to hear. We serve a great big God that orchestrates the circumstances of life in order to draw us to himself and accomplish his purposes. That's not in your notes anywhere, but I want that to sink into your heart. As we consider this subject of being all called, we serve a God who orchestrates circumstances in such a way that you and I find ourselves advancing his agenda. This is how I would say it as I put it on the board, and this is in your note. This isn't a story about a great big fish. It's a story about a great big God. This is a story about God's uh, providential work in Jonah's life, and ultimately we'll see it in our lives. In fact, the fish is only mentioned in three verses. So that's a very small part of this grand narrative that we look at. In God's sovereignty and in our lives, it, it, this, this story shows that it's about obedience. It's about grace. It's about forgiveness. The story of Jonah unfolding before us is about the character and nature of our God. It's about evil and who determines or defines evil. Here's a question that all of us need to ask and begin to answer in the coming days. Everyone look this way. Are you running from God or are you walking with God? That is a vital question for every single one of us. In your life, are you walking with the Lord consistently, submitted to Him, humbly walking with Him, or are you running away from Him? Very important question for us to frame up as we consider the rest of this sermon series. Like Jonah, we often run away. God calls us to do certain things, and we obey to a point. But the reality is, 
partial obedience is disobedience. We need to obey the Lord fully. Lord, here I am. We sing all to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him I freely give. And then we walk out of services just like this one and say, Lord, I'll give you up to this point, but no further. No more commitment. No deeper level. Not if it costs that much. Not if it hurts this much. Not if it takes me that far. The old missionary or anti-missionary, if you will, song said, Lord, please don't send me to Africa or outer Mongolia. Lord, I'll serve you anywhere you want me to as long as it's right here in the Pine Belt. And even then, I may not walk across the street to share with my neighbor. You see, this sovereign God in the story of Jonah is a God who hems us in and creates circumstances in unique ways that shape us. And so what we're going to do for just the next few weeks is a a sort of a slow overpass, a a 40,000-foot view, if you will. We won't walk verse by verse, but I think there's some principles that you and I can draw from together out of what we have read that hopefully will encourage us to walk with the Lord and not run from Him. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We read this last week. What a powerful statement that there are these edicts from God, these commands. It's over and over again in Scripture, the word of the Lord came. But it came to Jonah very specifically and, and gave him a specific call. I want you to go to Nineveh, this great city, and I want you to cry against it. Well, why? Why is God calling Jonah? Here's why he's calling Jonah. There's an amazing phrase. Their sinfulness has come up before me. Here's a principle I want you to get. God does not get accustomed to sinfulness. God has never grown accustomed to sinfulness. It says their wickedness has risen up before me. Now, wicked is a word that has grown strangely out of fashion. We don't use the word wicked these days. Oh, there's a television show about New Englanders who would catch tuna, wicked tuna. And I don't know, maybe you think about the Wicked Witch of the West or you think about a a Broadway musical, Wicked. But wicked is not a word that we use that much in daily conversation, is it? But wickedness is is evil, it's sinfulness. Now, we experience it, we have seen, even in the past week, acts of wickedness. The people of Nineveh were described as wicked. Their wickedness has come up before me. It's the same phrase that was used in Genesis to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up before me. There are times, everyone listen, there are times when a people or a country rise up in such mass wickedness that the Lord stops and looks. It's in the presence and the sight of God. He says, their wickedness has come up before me. Kind of interesting thought there. God never grows accustomed to wickedness. Why would I say that? Because what you and I become accustomed to is still sin in the eyes of God. We we may be accustomed to watching certain things on television or on Netflix. We may be accustomed to watching certain things and we become desensitized to the sinfulness of sin. We become desensitized to the wickedness that is around us. We, We are used to things that are still sin to God. God does not grow accustomed To wickedness. God says here that their wickedness has come up before me and I want you to go and 
and preach to them. I want you to go and cry out before them. Call them to repentance. Let them know that judgment is going to befall them. Lest they repent. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite pastimes is eating out. I, there's just something about eating that just uh, goes back to being part of that Baptist tribe. That's part of our stripe, our ilk, is that we like to eat. And several places that Stephanie and I, over the course of our years together, have liked to eat at, I, I, I like to say it this way, we've walked into some great places and you had to eat by faith and not by sight because it was so dark. You ever been in those places? Drives you crazy. You can barely see the menu, much less your food. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, what are they trying to hide? You know, what is it that they don't want me to see? But it's amazing how very, very quickly as you sit there in that environment that your eyes begin to adjust. And you get used to the dark. And all of a sudden, the, the, the irises dilate so much now that may be not the correct medical term but your eyes adjust in such a way that they uniquely allow enough light to come in that we are used to the light or used to the darkness and I'm afraid that we as Christians have fallen into the same category the same suit as the culture around us and we've become accustomed to the level of wickedness now as we think about Nineveh they were a brutal people in fact, if you were to go through, I, I think I've got a couple of pictures. Here is a picture of one of the high priests, if you will, of, of Nineveh offering an infant, child sacrifice, a pagan worship at its finest. In fact, Ashurbanipal, one of their leaders, let's go to the next one, a, a very brutal man, a large man, was known literally to do several things. One, I, I, I almost cringe to say in front of the children, but when he would capture an enemy, oftentimes he would rip their lips off. He would cut off their hands or their feet and watch them suffer and die. The, the people of Nineveh at times, and we'll, we'll move into this a little later as we consider Jonah's preaching there, they, they were known to skin their enemies and hang the skin upon the pathway that led into the city. Just to say, warning, we're putting you on notice. Our enemies don't make it out of here. Alive. Maybe just maybe when we see Jonah run, we don't give Jonah enough credit. Now, I realize he needed to trust a great big God, but would you want to go and preach there? Would you want to say, hey, I think I'll go stand right in the middle of these brutal people and tell them that judgment's going to fall on them. No, what in the world will they do to me? Let, let's just be real here. All of us at times find ourselves shrinking back in fear over things that don't even rise to the level of physical threats. And we say, I can't share with my neighbor. I can't share with my uncle. I mean, it might mess up Thanksgiving. And we fear rejection and somehow create this mindset that it's better for us to run away from God than it is to obey Him. I recommend that we should recalibrate our thinking and recognize that God never grows accustomed to wickedness, even our own rebellion. The things that we might be used to, God is still, at times, calling sin. Well, as we consider this brutal place that he's called to, this idolatrous people, the sin of Nineveh had risen up before the Lord. And I go back and say this. Let me challenge you. Don't become accustomed to wickedness. 
You know, the American dream in some ways sounds a whole lot like Nineveh to me. The materialism and the brutality and the idolatry of all of it being about us, that was the, the mindset of Nineveh. Don't become accustomed to the sin around you. I think about Paul. When Paul stood among all of the idols in Athens, and the Bible says there in Acts that he was deeply disturbed. He was distressed in his spirit. It broke his heart. We had the opportunity yesterday to, to have almost 100 international students. There were 13 different nations represented in our fellowship hall. God's bringing the nations to us. But there were unique things there as some who worshipped various strains of religious systems. From Buddhism to Hinduism to atheism to religions that have to do more with fear as Martha has shared. And I just began to think about all of those different mindsets and say, what an opportunity we as a church have. You know this, right? That our church is fairly unique in that this is the only city in the state of Mississippi with two major universities. And it's the only church really more closely situated between those universities. There are tens of thousands of lost people all around us right here on the avenues. I mean, this weekend alone, as we had the opportunity, and some of you were there, and I want to say very publicly, thank you for your service. Friday, we got to feed the Hattiesburg High football team, and then yesterday, had this welcome to Hattiesburg party. The mayor came and welcomed these students, and, and we're opening dialogue with students of various faiths and being able to share Jesus with them and pray for them that God would break through the veneer, the shell of their religion. But let's not become accustomed to the American way that it's about us. And let's begin to move beyond that and say, you know what, maybe it's not just about me. America is not the, the, the sole monopoly on Christianity. There are movements of God that are happening around this world. I just want to be a part of what He's doing. Amen? Do you? Let's not grow accustomed to sin. Number two, I want you to just consider this with me. And again, I know our time is, is just fleeting away. But number two, God always uses people to affect change. God called Jonah. He called Jonah very specifically, a man, and said, I want you to go. I want you to speak. And he, here's this man who was a prophet. His father was a man of truth. And God desired to see Nineveh change, and he wanted to change it through a man. When he moves in your life and in my life, God often uses people. A preacher, a friend, a spouse. Let me ask you a question, very simply. Look back across the years in your life and think about the people that invested in you spiritually. Think about the people that made an impact in your life. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a parent. Can you think about those folks? My, my encouragement to you is maybe even in the wake of this message, write their names down and go back and thank God for them. Just pray for them. And if they're still here and you still have the opportunity to express gratitude to them, I would encourage you to do so. Who, who led you to the Lord? Who, who was preaching or who sat down with you and shared the good news of Jesus with you? God uses people to impact others, to affect change. A, a more pertinent question or equally important question is this. Who are you investing in? Wh whose life are you currently impacting? 
Are you making disciples? Are you obediently answering the call that God has placed on every single one of us to impact others with the gospel? I think about Martha hearing a knock on the door and saying, yes, here's an opportunity. Opportunities abound. You don't have to look for them. I promise you God will answer this prayer. You pray even tonight, God, this week, give me the opportunity to share Jesus with someone. I promise you on the authority of the Word of God, He will answer that prayer. Why? Because that prayer is in line with His will. His desire is that all should be saved. And as he draws people in, that none should perish. And Jesus went to the cross, and he is calling people from all over the world. And if you will make yourself available, he will use you as a tool to reach those that he's already working in. It's a glorious mystery. But God wants to use us. Now, think about those that he might use you to invest in. Number three, I want you to see this. A clear conscience doesn't necessarily mean a clean life. Jonah runs away from the Lord. Look with me, if you will, very quickly, verse 4 and following. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The, the language there of Hebrew is in essence this. He, he hurled up a storm like putting a baseball together and threw it right at Jonah. He hurled this storm. A great wind of the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his little G-God. And they threw cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it. Where's Jonah? He'd gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. A, a clear conscience doesn't mean a clean life. I, I know a lot of people who sin, and they're ignoring God, and they say, I sleep fine at night. doesn't mean their life is clean before the Lord. And just because you find yourself in this place, you know, I said this last week, everything lined up. He finds this ship just happens to be going in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Imagine that, he found this ship. Everything's working out. You know what, God can send somebody else to Nineveh, I'm going to Tarshish. Just because things seem to line up on the outside, don't mistake that for the will of God. And just because you think in your heart and your mind, well, I've got a clean conscience. Our pastor continually preaches about making disciples, and he is talking to somebody else. I know good and well, some of you are sitting on the edge of your seat when I preach, and you're saying, sick them, preacher. Because you think I'm talking to everybody else. You know why I know that? Because I've done that. I've sat in services just like this one and said, you know what, he had a word for somebody else. And all the while I was disobeying the Lord in some area of my life. I had grown accustomed perhaps to a level of sinfulness. And the bottom line for all of us is that God does not grow accustomed to sin. And he wants to use people and he uses his people to enact change, to affect change. And just because I walk around with a sense of a clear conscience doesn't necessarily mean I have a clean life. Let me rephrase that a different way. A, a lack of guilt does not mean a lack of sin. A lack of guilt does not mean a lack of sin. Now, I, I want to wrap this up, so let me take you through these last few points. L let me say this. A loving father will use drastic measures to turn his child and to turn others into his children. L look at this with me in the text. 
Each man, verse 7, each man said to his mate, come let us cast lots so that we may learn whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lot and the lot fell to Jonah and they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. God has hurled this storm together. God has put all of the circumstances together to hem Jonah in. And we said this last week, Psalm 139 beautifully portrays it. You cannot hide from the presence of God. We see it all throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. People trying. And yet there's no way, there's no place that we can hide from the presence of God. God uses drastic measures. And in those drastic measures, he does that to turn his children. You see, he's turning Jonah back to himself. But I want you to see that he's turning the sailors into his own. Because it says uniquely, we read it, if you go back to toward the end, verse 15, they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. That sounds awful lot like commitment to me. There's, there's maybe some faith there. God will move heaven and earth. In fact, so much so, I can say with confidence, he sent his son. He literally vacated the throne of heaven. The glory of heaven came to earth, robed in flesh, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, rose victoriously on your behalf. You don't think God takes sin seriously? You don't think God's love is demonstrated in powerful ways? The cross of Calvary shows us clearly that Jesus Christ demonstrated the love, the grace, and the mercy of God to all of us. God will go to drastic measures to turn us. It may take years. Our hearts and our lives may be turned over the course of a decade or more. I pray that it's not. I pray that you would just learn tonight to keep short accounts with God. Maybe God is using this message tonight. Maybe, just maybe, you weren't contemplating coming to church this morning. And, and the circumstances were that He hurled a storm in our direction so that you would come to church and you would hear about one that ran from God and all of the circumstances that God used to turn Him back to Himself. Maybe tonight you need to trust the Lord. You need to make that sacrifice of yourself and say, Lord, all to you I surrender and be saved. It's so interesting to me. I wish we had time to, to really invest. There's lots of things here. One of the things I want you to see, number six, is this. When you're out of fellowship with God, things can seem really hopeless. Look back with me, if you will, to verse 10 for just a moment. Then the man became extremely frightened and said, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so they said to him, what should we do? And what does he tell them should happen? You help me out. What does Jonah say? Hey, guys, this is what you ought to do. What does he tell them? Throw me overboard. Did Jonah know that there was a great fish waiting below that boat to take him in? What was Jonah thinking? Pretty hopeless. I've run from the Lord and committing suicide in essence throw me overboard you'll be spared I know a lot of people who are far from the Lord wandering away in rebellion or just in apathy who find themselves in situations that seem hopeless I've met with people this week who have made such a mess of their lives that they say I just find myself in a place that seems almost hopeless financially relationally 
vocationally. I just can't see a way out. And perhaps like Jonah, you find yourself in a hopeless situation. You say, I would just rather die. But God, but God, but God in His grace and His mercy had all of the events orchestrated in such a way that this great fish would be there on the receiving end, if you will. And this takes me to number seven. The God of Jonah is the God of today, and he is a God of hope. Tonight, we need to recognize that God is a God of hope. I I don't know where you were when the Lord found you. I was at rock bottom. I was hopeless, helpless. You know, we don't need just a little bit of a reformation in our lives. We don't need to just have a renovation in our lives. We need to be completely regenerated. We need new birth. God has to do a work of quickening, of giving us life. We are dead. We're not just kind of bad and need improvement. No, we are brought in Christ from death to life. And if you find yourself tonight in a place where you say, my circumstance or my situation is hopeless, I want to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no hopeless situation so long as there is breath and a pulse. You can tonight trust the Lord Jesus Christ. You can cry out to Him. And the Bible says on the authority of God's Word, all I can say is this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that good news? There's hope. There's hope for you. Now, we'll see in the continuing saga of Jonah that he will turn back to the Lord. But I want you to see this. We are all called. And God is calling some of you tonight to salvation. God is calling perhaps you to a place to say, I have never truly trusted him. I spent time uh, recently with a young man who had been in church all of his life. And he said, I've never seen change. I've never seen anything other than religious activity. And he said, I need Jesus. To overcome the things that I'm battling. Maybe you've walked down that religious path. And tonight you need to be saved. It's not my job to browbeat. It's not my job to do anything other than just present the good news. And the good news is that last point. That God is a God of hope. Jesus died for us. Let me pray. We're going to have a hymn of decision. We'll share together very simply in a song. And this is an opportunity for you to do business with God. Brother West, come on up. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a, a time of celebration and worship. And we thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the story of Jonah and, and the miraculous circumstances in which you hemmed him in. Help us, Lord, to follow you more closely and more fully. And God, even now, I pray that your people would have the courage to step out, even against opposition that they say in their mind is there, and simply trust you and obey you and find that hope. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.